there was a lot of spray, there was a lot yeah. of water around. And it was the only it was the only time I remember really being thankful for being clipped onto the boat. And I, I was holding on tight. I had one hand on the tiller and the other holding on bloody tight onto the rail of the boat. Hello, and welcome to Sailing Castaways. I'm your host, Johnny McBride. Today's episode is number one. Okay, nice one. Um, awesome. So, uh, welcome to the podcast, one. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, we'll just start with, um, we're, we're obviously in the middle of this coronavirus hullabaloo. <laughs> um, where are you at now? Uh, I'm hiding out from this hullabaloo in my parents' house in Limerick. Limerick in Ireland, yeah. that's awesome. Which is um, grand, it's nice and easy. So, I'm to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've just had like a quick look at your Facebook. I obviously know we've been friends for a while and kind of know some of the things you've been up to. Um, and you are a freelance yacht engineer and skipper. Um which we love, sailing. Um, how did you get into sailing? Um, okay, so I was working as a crane design engineer down in Kerry um, after I left, left college. And through one, one thing or another, kind of became aware of sailing at that stage. Um, through, just through, I think I was windsurfing at the time, and a windsurfing club got, got chatting to people who sail. Um, found out about the whole thing and watched some videos on YouTube and thought, oh, yeah, this looks like a bit of fun. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think it was one Thursday evening. I just rocked up to the sailing club there in Tralee and found a couple of people hanging around with life jackets on and asked where to go on sailing that evening. And they said, yeah, you can come. And they said, oh, yeah, that guy's always looking for a crew. Why don't you ask him? And he said, yep, you can come and join me. And I think we were pretty much on the boat before he asked, so how much sailing have you done? (laughs) Uh, None. And that was grand. He brought me onto the boat, no worries. Um, And I absolutely loved it and kind of picked things up pretty quick. So I ended up racing on that boat for the rest of the season in Tralee and got absolutely hooked. Ended up doing a couple of club cruises around different spots in the area down in Kerry. And yeah, just absolutely had a ball with it. That sounds fantastic. Do you know what kind of boat that was? That was a Beneteau 32S5. So just, a, just a your regular... It's a big regular... boat to learn on, isn't it? Um, well, not really. It's, around, it's a, I suppose, the smaller end of kind of cruiser racers. Um, and it was, I was racing with a crew of guys who knew what they were doing. So it all felt pretty smooth and in control. Um, the skipper was a lovely man called Dermot, who was really friendly, really understanding, um, and nice and relaxed about everything. You couldn't pick a nicer guy to learn to sail with. Um, and all the guys in the boat were a little bit older, and a few of them had injuries and back injuries and shoulder problems. So, yeah. of course, the first night or two, I was ballast, just sitting on the rail, running from one side to the other, wondering what on earth is going on here. Yeah, the old dead crabs. <laughs> Actually, yeah. And then pretty quickly got promoted to trimming, trimming jibs and trimming spinnakers and doing the things that some of the guys on the boat weren't really physically capable of anymore. Yeah. Um, um, and was that really really the start of, of racing as well for you? 
that was the start of racing. Yeah, it was really the racing that I kind of fell in love with. Just the hecticness and the chaos and the teamwork as well. And just, yeah, yeah everything great. about racing, really. It's um, great fun. It is. Um, yeah, I, I love I love racing. Um, so then how did you go from there to, you, you finished, completed your Yacht Master two years ago now? Uh, yes, something like that. Maybe a little <laughs> bit, a little bit less. Um, yeah, well, from there, so I, I only lasted one year in the office job for deciding, right, eight-hour days indoors weren't really going to do it for me. <laughs> just not gonna cut it. Just it just wasn't. I decided it wasn't the way to go. So I quit that job with no real plan. So I went traveling for a couple of months um in Ireland, just spent I think September and October cruising around the north coast and um, living in my car. I was driving a Ford Fiesta at the time and mainly living in that. Uh, I went to a bunch of surf kayak competitions up in Port Rush and Sligo and surfed, surfed everywhere else along the way. Um, and then myself and two of the guys drove another Ford Fiesta down to Portugal on a board surfing trip. Um, again, we just dealt with three big guys loaded up with, with, with the car loaded up with toys and a couple of pop-up tents to stay in. Uh, we, had a, we had an amazing trip. We were gone for a month or six weeks in, I think, November, December. So everywhere along the way, it was pretty quiet. The weather was mainly good. But there was one stage we were staying in a hostel in Portugal, just hiding from some bad weather. And I was thinking, right, what am I going to do? What am I doing next? Um, I remember kind of Googling for jobs. And I thought, of, oh, sure, there's a bit of an industry behind sailing. So I kind of started looking at looking for jobs on boats. And I remember coming across one job online um, and showing the guys the advertisement because I just thought, right, this seemed way too good to be true, way too good to be true. Um, and it was a company looking for people with kind of mechanical backgrounds to come and help them refit a bunch of boats and then go on the water as a flotilla engineer for a season. So I remember applying for that job. And then I remember going to the London Boat Show to do an interview with that company. And the interview was a weird one uh, because they didn't really ask a whole lot. <laughs> it was essentially <laughs> a, a really quick chat. And I went home thinking, right, they didn't ask me a whole lot either. And they, they can't not give me the job from how little they found out about me. Yeah. So hopefully I got the job. And anyway, yeah, a week or two later, I was over in Greece over in Corfu, um, working on a re winter refit for a charter company over there. Um, so I spent three months working in a boatyard in Corfu, being taught how to fix boats and fix engines and do all the winter maintenance stuff that you have to do. And then I spent six months living on a little 30-odd-foot 30, 30 Maxi 95 and running flotillas around the South Ionian Islands in Greece. I remember very jealously watching your Brilliant. social media feeds, thinking that would just be awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was brilliant crack. Um, and a huge, huge learning curve. Because um, I, I really hadn't done a whole lot of sailing before that. Um, yeah, so that whole job was just 
chaos. So you were you were literally living on the thirty foot boat. I was living on a thirty foot boat with two other people. Yeah. So I was the engineer, and then there was a skipper and a whole staff on board as well. And together and, we and were responsible. Sorry. How was that living on board um, on the water as well? It was on the water and responsible for a flotilla of 12 boats. So we would have 12 boats in between 30 and 50 people. Um, and we would take take these 12 boats on a tour around the island. So a weekly trip, there'd be one week trips. And it was nice because we were able to vary the route and call to whichever towns in the area that we, that we wanted to. So we would vary it up based on the weather or based on which harbours we hadn't been to for a while or where the cocktails were nicest or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was great. Yeah, living on the boat was pretty pretty hectic. It's a small space, not not a lot of privacy, um, not a lot of free time. I had one day off in a six-month season over there, and the rest of the time was kind of go, go, go. And all, like... The, the 12 boats on the water, do they require like a lot of maintenance and, and work to be done on them throughout the season? Yeah, so as the engineer, I was responsible for all the maintenance on them from routine stuff like oil changes and checks. Um, you'd be checking boats every week and then doing each boat got an oil change every six weeks. So you're doing an oil, change every, oil changes every week on different boats. And then if there were any breakdowns or any issues or if the clients managed to crash a boat or stick an anchor on the bottom or have any other trouble, yeah, you'd get the phone call um, and have to go and sort it out. So you'd either take the lead boat tender or you'd take the lead boat out and go and sort out whatever the problem was, which could be anything uh, from engine wiring meltdowns to clients who managed to reverse over their own, their own li- a line hanging off the back of their boat. <laughs> whatever you never knew what was going to happen when the when the phone rang was that was that a thing that happened a lot the clients managed to get themselves into difficulty maybe a grind or something like that regular yeah <laughs> yeah regular um especially the first couple of days of flotilla but they were just kind of getting the feel for things so yeah okay. you, you mentioned the ground yeah there was one i think the, yeah the first day of flotilla we got a phone call saying oh yeah our engines and gear but we're not going anywhere. Um, and immediately you're trying to troubleshoot this and you're thinking, right, if the gearbox broken, how's the propeller shaft disconnected from the engine? You're trying to ask, right, is there a wash coming from the back of the boat or what does it sound like? And you're asking all these questions. Uh, eventually it dawns on you and they're saying, oh yeah, they're near this island. And you're thinking, right, yeah, there is a shallower area near that island. What's your depth sounder reading? Uh, Oh, zero. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that time we got lucky. They were close enough to one of the company's other bases. So we were able to make a phone call and get some guys to go out with a rib to go and push them off the off the reef they were on. Yeah. Um, I think I think everyone touches the bottom at least once. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And it usually but it usually doesn't happen when you're not expecting it. <laughs> I think most times yeah. I've touched bottom are the times that you're thinking, right, I might get away with this <laughs> until you don't. Yeah. So you basically went from there, you worked um, 
as a flotilla engineer. Um, and then could you count any of those miles towards your yacht master? Yeah. Um, yeah, for the yacht master, you can count half of the to- half of the miles you've done can be nine nine non-tidal. So I think in a season we did about was it two and a half thousand miles or something like that. And um, so yeah, I, I counted off a good chunk of miles towards the yacht master from that. And then yeah, after doing that job, I ended up doing a few deliveries and different sailing trips and things to make up the rest of the miles. Um, and you, as well, I remember you sailed on a catamaran for a while. Um, the Snogus. Yeah, the, the proud Snogus, the 37. That, yeah. was in, <laughs> that was an interesting trip. So, <laughs> so how did you get involved with that? And what, where did you go? Um, so towards the end of that first season in Greece, I met one of the clients who came out said, oh yeah, myself and a friend are going on this big sailing trip. Um, there are only two of us, it's a big boat, and we're looking for people to come along. I think straight away I called shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm joining you on that. Um, so I went back to Greece the following spring and did the three months in the boatyard again, and then went to Brighton to join this, yeah, the 37-foot catamaran. Um, and the, the, owner, the, the owner of the boat had big plans. He was going to sail down to the Med and then spend about three years sailing around the world. Um, and I think I went to Brighton for the 1st of April, maybe that year. And the plan was to leave pretty much immediately. Um, and it sounded sweet. He, there, were, there were two German shepherds coming along on the trip, which I, were, I was assured these dogs were boat trained and they were, they were happy out on the boat. And the other two people who were involved both had day skippers and both apparently knew what they were doing. Um, and then when I got to Brighton, the boat was not ready to go. The dogs were not remotely boat trained. <laughs> and the two people had barely scraped a day skipper, I'd say, a couple of years beforehand and hadn't sailed since. So, so we spent a couple of weeks in Brighton doing... The bare minimum, a bare minimum maintenance to make get the boat ready to go. Um, and then we went sailing and discovered that the people hadn't done a huge amount of sailing. Um, but we made it work. We got the boat on the water. We cruised down the coast. We got some really nice weather for the start of the trip, which was nice. Um, cruised down the south coast of the UK, through the Solent down, I think, as far as Portsmouth. And then crossed the channel over to the Channel Islands. Uh, which was beautiful. So we spent, I think, maybe a week hanging around the Channel Islands, just checking out Guernsey and Sark. Yeah. Doing some cool walking around the islands. And then down the west coast of France. And this all went, it was going okay. Um, (laughs) There were some different, uh, different opinions on how we should do some things between different people on the boat. And the dogs, it turned out, yeah, weren't boat trained. So if we tried to keep them on board for more than 24 hours, they wouldn't They wouldn't use, go to the toilet on the piece of grass mat, which the theory was they'd go to the toilet, go to the toilet yeah. on. 
So if we spent more than about 24 hours at sea, they would take a shite in the owner's cabin. Yeah, <laughs> so essentially we, <laughs> essentially we ended up just day sailing. Um, so we were, yeah, we were making pretty slow progress, really, and we got as far as Le Sable de Lon in France. And then... Ah, uh, yeah. Just a beautiful little town. It's, it's a big sailing centre. It's where the Vendée Globe race starts from. Uh, it is, yeah. Big, <laughs> big culture of sailing over there. So there's a harbour full of very cool, very fast boats. Um, we got there and the boat owner came out and admitted that, yeah, he's got, got pretty severe depression going on and the sailing wasn't really working for him. So he said he was leaving the boat there. He got a, he'd already organised a friend to drive a van down from the UK to pick up him and the dogs. And myself and the other girl on board were basically left to figure out what we were doing, doing from there. Um, she wasn't, wasn't the end of the world. We had a couple of days just chilling out in a nice little harbour in France and looking at very fast, <coughs> shiny carbon racing boats. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, that's a an amazing place to go and visit. I'd love to get to Le Sartelon, um, especially to just to see the start of some of the Vendée Globes. Um, I just recently watched the documentary um, of the Hugo Box skipper Alex Thompson, and he's got big plans for this year. Yeah, so. I've seen that. Yeah, it was great. A couple of the Vendée boats were in the harbour there, just down from where we were. Um, including, is it the Spirit of Kildare? So the boat that ended Queenie, Queenie did the last. Um, there were a couple of guys on that boat, I think, just stripping off some stickers and markings and things on them. So I got chatting to the guys working on the boat and got taken on for a look around and got to have a, got to have a good, good nosy at the boat, uh, which, was, which yeah. was pretty cool. And it's mental. You look at these 60 foot racing boats and you imagine right that must be packed full of stuff inside and it's mad you jump on board and it's just a tiny tiny car- carbon surfboard with yeah it's empty like you jump on board <laughs> and there's there's a jet boil store and that's about it apart from that it's just an empty carbon box which you can you can barely kneel in never mind stand they're tiny yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that was cool. And uh just looking and looking at the rig and seeing how all the sail controls are set up and just Yeah, i I enjoyed I enjoyed looking at that boat and the others and the others that were hanging around hanging around the dock there. Definitely a bit of an eye opener. Um and then you so from there, where did you go? Um, from there, I got pretty lucky. I went on to, I think, Crew Seeker for one of those and found a boat which was looking for crew on a delivery from Gibraltar up to the UK. So, and, that, and they, were got, they were paying transport for whoever crewed for them. So I found someone who paid for my flights from the Fab Delon down to Gibraltar and then sailed me from Gibraltar up to Lymington. Um, and we had, a, we had a real nice trip, real nice cr- crew with a nice really? young skipper. Um, some of his family were helping the crew. Um, we Yeah, we had a lovely sail up the west coast of Portugal and across Biscay. We had no bad weather in Biscay, just 
we had light headwinds most of the way, so we were motoring for a lot of it, and with the usual diesel bug issues and engine problems and usual drama, got to Limington, and then then they bought me a flight home. <laughs> um, do you find being your experience as a flotilla engineer helps you and get get crew in positions on that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, I think it does. Yeah. I've never, I've never struggled to get on a boat. Never struggled to find a job or anything like that. And then, if I am on a boat, usually, usually something goes wrong and the skills come in useful. Yeah. Um, seems to happen. Yeah, constantly. So you, you said you mentioned you crossed Biscay there. Is that the only time you've, you've done that? That was, yes, that's the only time I've crossed Biscay so far, yeah. So far, I like that. February <laughs> 55, in nice weather, so it wasn't quite the whole Bay of Biscay experience that you hear about. Yeah, um, I've actually, some friends of, uh, of mine, they sail on a, a boat called the Creekmore 45. They, they sailed in the Belfast when I was uh, working there last year, uh, Belfast Marina. And they've just recently crossed Biscay and down into Morocco. Um, I think is where they've stopped off. But um, they, it was so calm. They sent me a few pictures of, of their crossing and it was just not what you expect at all. But... Um, that's not to say that it's settled down any out there. <laughs> oh, you hear you hear the scare stories of people. Who... It's not the place to be. It's like hitting weather on an ocean cross, where you can just for as long as you have to. Not. If you get unlucky, just a little bit there. Sorry, say that again. I'm not, I'm not sure what's happening. Can you hear me okay I now? can, yeah. Yeah, can you hear me? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry. It, just, uh, it had just gone a bit um, a bit funny there. Oh, okay. So, where were we? Yeah, you just come back to the UK. Um after the, the snow goose adventure. That was it, yeah. Yeah, sailed up to Limington. And then you had a season in the Caribbean? Um, <laughs> a while later, a while... Yeah, so... Did I missed the big, that, missed the big chunk there. Chunk, yeah, there, yeah. On the way from Gibraltar to Limington, we stopped off in La Coruña uh, to swap crews around and just make a couple of days out. And while there, where we got the plan, and as you do, ended up cruising the sailing boat section for Dundee and places like that, and came across this little Hurley Twenty Two, going pretty cheap down in West Cork. Um, and when I looked up the Hurley Twenty Two, and what they're what they're capable of doing and what they have done. Kind of decided, right? <laughs> yeah, I want that one. 
Um, and my parents were great there. My parents don't know sailing boats, but they trekked down from Limerick to West Cork to have a look at this thing for me. Um, because there were a couple of other people interested in buying her. And I got my parents to essentially survey the survey the boat with me on a video chat, tapping here and there and looking at different things on it to make sure she wasn't total junk. <laughs> okay. Basically, over a video call there, I decided, yeah, I'm going to buy that and spend my summer sailing and have a bit of fun. Yeah, the, the Hurleys, they're pretty well built, pretty strong little boats. Um, yeah, you, um, and you've done your research before you bought it, so so that's good. <laughs> uh, was it... Ex- Sorry? Sorry? Yeah. The reading, the reading for buying it, and I had, yeah, buying something like that had been on my mind for a while. Okay. The stars aligned. I kind of had some money. The right boat was there at the time, so went for it. Um, and then you picked it up in West Cork and sailed it to where? Um. That first season. Did you sail from there? Sorry. Did Did you go from West Cork? Is that is from where the boat was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The boat I was in, Bally the Hub. So I launched launched it there and didn't travel too far. That season, I kind of the southwest coast. I'd say I made it as far as Cork City, West and Tralee. Yeah, Tralee was the first north I went that season. Um, which is still still a good little grounder to check out along the way there. Um, I think the first thing I did, I launched it. Actually, the very first thing I did was <laughs> launch the boat, go sailing, and the engine died. Just when I was playing around, <laughs> playing around down near Long Island and Skull. Uh, so straight away it was introduced to shopping around in a little harbour trying to find electrical connectors for the for the wire that the, the wire connector that had fallen apart <laughs> yeah it's those uh it's those first few days out they're always exciting because you, you never know what's literally what's going to go wrong yeah um and something's bound to go wrong <laughs> always red pepper your your boat's a hurley is a hurley as well isn't it hurley 18 yeah, early eighteen. Yeah, um, and, and we had a great adventure the first few times we we took it out of the marina. Um, when I bought the boat, it was it was in the water, so I didn't really get a chance to to get it lifted out and checked over. And to be honest, at the time, I wouldn't have known what I was looking at anyway. Um, not to mention the price of getting the boat lifted out was probably nearly the price of the boat. <laughs> That thing so, with small boats, yeah, everything is so expensive compared to what the boat itself is worth. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we, I think we managed to run aground at least once inside the marina. Um, we, uh, <laughs> the engine died literally as soon as we had untied the dock lines. <laughs> um, the, the, the marina that it was in is a fishing harbour, so it's really high walls, 
and it was low tide the first time we took it out. That's why we touched the bottom. And we couldn't even sail back to the dock. <laughs> it was a disaster. <laughs> that, but, um, yeah, that's it was good fun, you know? Just totally typical. My yeah. plan for Moonshine now are to get rid of the engine completely. <laughs> I'm sick of it going wrong. I'm sick of fixing engines. And you'll you you you'll have a little outboard, maybe. My plan is to try to get by with sails and oars. Sails and oars. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. It'll be an adventure, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that a lot of people, you know, say it makes you a better sailor having not having an engine because you need to sail in and out of your anchorages and and all the rest. But I think on most of Ireland's coast, there's limited sheltered anchorages and more marinas that you may have to use and an engine might be convenient for that but i'm all for sailing in and out of the dock <laughs> to be honest yeah. and first i have i've been doing a lot of that while i've had the boat and just playing around and experimenting but the only the only times i'd really miss the engine and the boat it's a 20-foot boat it's small enough to row around or paddle around if there's no wind yeah. And you can, and she she sails well enough to sail her pretty much anywhere. Um, the only times that I'd really miss the engine are when you want to get around a headland to catch a change in wind or a change in tide or to get in ahead of bad weather at a time where you, where you really do appreciate having that having that speed and knowing knowing that you can travel at a certain speed for a certain amount of time to get to a place when you want to be there. Yeah, yeah, when you're kind of trying to make a yeah, deadline. Yeah, exactly. Whereas without the engine, those deadlines will have to go out the window completely because if there's no wind, you're going nowhere. And if there's bad weather coming, you you don't have an option for getting out of there. Which, on one hand, you could call irresponsible, but people have survived. Yes. People have sailed and survived without engines. A lot of people have cruised without engines, and it works to get by. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I'm going to um, experiment with that and figure it out. Figure have out you considered works. any any electric motor options? Um, I have. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. So I um, so I've done I, a little bit of work, little bit of work for a startup company on the west coast of Ireland who were intending, are intending yeah. to build electric powered sailing boats. So I have, through that, I have done a bit of research into, into the options for electric power and energy storage and all the rest of it. Um, and it is, yeah, the options are opening up. It is becoming viable, but if you have, if you have the money to spend, yeah, yeah. So, so it's yeah, it's definitely becoming a realistic option, but it's not something I'm going to go for. It's not on the to-do list right now. Okay, fair enough. So yeah, back on this this track to your yacht master. Um, oh yeah. Um, you were coming back to Leamington. Your parents. And checked out the hurley for you. 
Oh yeah, so what happened then? Yeah, so I bought the Hurley and went sailing. Spent the season cruising around on that, and I did did some more deliveries on the west coast of Ireland just to earn a couple of cash, a couple of pennies that summer. And at one stage, I left the Hurley in Tralee for three weeks and work went to work on a flotilla in Croatia. Um, and at the end of that, so basically, once it started getting a bit too wet and a bit too cold for living on an old boat, so sometime in September, I went back out to Greece and finished out the season with the same company that I had worked for previously. And at that stage, I had all the miles and everything added, everything collected up for the Yachtmaster. So when I, at the end of that season, so at the end of, I think, October, they have their last flotilla, and then you go into, I think, nearly two months of just laying up the boats and taking them out of the water for the winter. And when all of that was finished, I did the Yachtmaster in Corfu, um, organized through the company and the local and the local sailing okay. school, which is really handy. Sorry, I just lost the end of that. Sorry. Oh, I just said that it was really handy doing the Yachtmaster there, organized through the company I was working for, because I didn't have to do any organization or travel anywhere. And did you do the, the theory, the Yachtmaster theory previously, or did you do that? No, in I did that in Corfu. Well? So when we finished work, I did a week, did a week of theory with an instructor who worked for the company I worked for. And then the assessment for that is, uh, I know it's no way thing. He gets the assessment sheets, I believe. And then we did a week practical, a week of practical training with the local, with the Corfu, with Corfu Sea School, who have a good setup there in, there in Gubia as well. And then, and an examiner flew out to do the assessment over over a weekend. So yeah, so we had two weeks, two weeks of training, and then a weekend of assessment. Um, and how did the assessment go? I think you had some pretty pretty rough weather. Um, yes, yeah. Just to touch, we had a couple of we had one day, we had one glorious day where we just worked on all the navigation and the boat handling and all the rest of it. But then when the when the major when it came down to the night sail and all the navigation and everything, we got um, we had a massive, massive blow came through. And we were seeing thirty five gusting gusting well into the forties and not the wind that night. And it was really with driving rain. <laughs> And were you guys still, we were still sailing, sailing in that? Yeah, but the whole, the the finesse of night navigation kind of went out, went out the window a little bit. And it kind of became, right, let's just handle the boat and get from A to B in one place. Because um, as the wind rose, we were going through the reefing drills and going through everything. And I remember one of the girls who was on the assessment had to, was essentially skipper for one leg. Basically, as we beat our way upwind in 40 knots from Gubia up to Corfu and calling the tacks and calling the navigation and weaving our way in around the islands and the obstructions in the way there. 
And then when we got close to Corfu town, the assessor said, right, we're not, our original plan was to go into Corfu town itself and spend a little bit of time in the marina there. And the assessor said, no, not a chance. It's a bit too exposed for that. And he told, he told me to take the boat home back to Gubia. And I remember the instant we had, I think, three reefs in, in the main and a little bit of jib up. And still, as soon as I turned the boat around to start heading downwind, she broached massively and just spun, sat there with the sails flogging. Oh, no. <laughs> Which, were, on one hand, was a blessing because the decision was easy, right? Take the main down, get rid of that, and let's just sail home on the jib. And I know we had a corner of jib yep. up and we were doing seven, seven and a half knots all the way home. <laughs> it was, oh, it was great. It was a great sail. <laughs> I remember the Kiwi girl who had to navigate go all the way up to Corfu was very jealous when my leg was over and about a quarter of the time that it had taken her to get up to Corfu just town. Just blasting downwind, yeah. Yeah, one, probably one or two jibes, which were no worries because there was no mainsail to worry about. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, it was it was Mediterranean Corfu 40 knots, so you got the wind, but there's no swell with it. So, yeah, it's a fairly, fairly calm sea. Yeah, too. choppy, choppy and spray. And you're getting sprayed with warm water. So, there are far, far worse places to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. So, yeah, that's awesome. And you obviously passed the, the art master yeah. then, no issues. Yeah, no drama. We got, <laughs> we got told off because none of the three of us on the assessment managed to get any of our signal flags right. And our assessor was a bit put out by that. <laughs> but yeah, everything else, everything okay. else was no worries. Um, is that the signal flags? Maybe it's just not something it's you not were something using much. not you've ever... And it's not like he asked the simple ones like Q or any of the flags you might actually use occasionally. It was the letters of the alphabet that you don't don't come across at all. It wasn't any of the class flags you'd use for racing. It wasn't any of the any of the number flags which would come up occasionally. It was just random random letters, flag letters that he thought we should know, which yeah, which we'd never used and had thought there were more important things to be studying. In the week coming up to the assessment. Yeah. So, yeah. So from there, um, then you went um, to the Caribbean. From, right? from there, I came back to Ireland and tried to work <laughs> for this startup company designing and building electric motor powered racing sailboats. Um, the less said about that, the better, really. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we leave that. But they are still, they're still going and still planning to produce um, electric powered uh, racing sailboats. I don't know. They haven't been answering my emails. And there's ongoing, okay. ongoing legal action. <laughs> hopefully, okay. hopefully, hopefully going to happen. Whenever this coronavirus shut down, 
relaxes a little bit. Things will start to make progress there. Anyway. Because, yeah, I mean, that would be pretty pretty cool for it, Ireland to have It's a brilliant idea. It's a brilliant concept. Um, I won't go into the downsides of this particular operation. But no, I was in Ireland for a couple of weeks only before realizing that this wasn't going to, going to go anywhere. And then, yeah, similar to the previous time I went on Cruise Seekers, kind of kind of open to anything, really. And yeah, found a company who was looking for an engineer over in Beckway, in St. Vincent and the Grenadines in the Caribbean. So I think just shortly before Christmas, I went over there. Um, yeah. And what what were you what were you sailing? You were as a flotilla engineer. No, there over again, there I was mainly a shore based, shore, mainly shore based engineer, doing doing re, doing okay. turnarounds and call outs and maintenance work. Um, so the company there had a fleet of a mixture of forty to fifty foot monohulls and catamarans, which they owned, and a couple of more which they didn't own the boats, but they acted as agents. Then they also had a sideline kind of business going where they'd do call-outs and maintenance work on visiting cruising boats. So, so I was, yeah, I kept busy there, just doing turnarounds, doing maintenance, doing kind of emergency work for cruisers, and a mixture, mixture of anything and everything and all sorts of boats. And then, handy, because I had just got the Yachtmaster, I was able to do um, deliveries, did a a load of solo deliveries from Grenada up to up to Beckway. Then went out on charter a couple of times and went out teaching clients how to how to sail their boats a couple of times. So So the the solo deliveries, how how that far was were about you going? Sixty miles. Sixty miles on a fifty? Yeah, 50 give or take. Forty. And you you were happy enough just to 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 do that on yeah. your own. Yeah, it was it was handy enough. The way it works over there, you've got a nice marina there in Grenada, where you've got pretty handy marina staff who help cast you off. And then it's a pretty straightforward, it's a pretty straightforward sail. Usually, kind of on the wind or close hauled most of the way up, most of the way up, and then it usually take around twelve hours or so, a little bit longer. And then you get to get to Beckway where you've a nice sheltered harbour where you where you're just picking up a mooring ball. So yeah, yeah, solo is pretty doable. I actually really enjoyed it. You throw out a fishing line and relax and take it easy. And I think I stopped off for lunch one day to cook up a barracuda yeah. I caught. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> that was, bad, that was pretty sweet. I, I enjoyed that job. There was a nice variety in it. Good company to work for, nice and relaxed. Relaxed but chaotic at the same time because you're dealing with broken boats and clients and all the rest of it. Yeah, it was nice. That was good. Yeah. Cool. And then, um, yeah, what, ha- what happened after that? Where, where, so that was last That was last, last year. year. Yeah, that was last. So I went over just before Christmas and spent about three months. So that was nice being there for Christmas as well. I think the Caribbean just kind of stops and everyone goes out in the piss for a couple of days. And all the local bars have the speakers outside and everyone's just drinking beer in the street. 
have a big street party for myself. <laughs> so it was a good time of year Glorious. to get there. Glorious. Um, oh, and it was great fun as well because the sort of first season I spent in Greece as the flotilla engineer, the skipper of that boat was a, was a Kiwi guy around the same age as me who me and him got on really well. We did a load of kind of spear fishing, just having the crack together. And he was over in the area on a 68-foot swan at the time with some really sound owners. So whenever I had a day off, they would basically make sure that my friend was on the island I was on and also had a day off. So we went, we did some partying, did a lot of spear fishing, and just had a good time hanging out in the Caribbean. <laughs> yeah. The... Um... The spear fishing, have you done much spear I fishing? I've done a back. This family business with free sea urchin from Abalone. So he, him and his brothers have been spear fishing since the year dot. They're all phenomenally good. So that season in Greece, Myself, yeah. we we basically spent our time planning our weekly route around where the best spearfishing spots were. We, yeah, we've spent quite a lot of time in the water. Yeah, I've, um, no, I've done a little bit of spearfishing, but in Greece, I think I've heard that it's and and the Caribbean as well. It's it's deep. It's um it's a lot different to the the things we get around the. You're right. Coast I spent Island. a full season so. spearfishing in Greece and caught. Nothing. Like genuinely, it's <laughs> there just aren't fish above thirty odd meters. Like I was get I was fishing at twenty twenty five, and catching nothing, seeing see even seeing very little. Um, now a friend who's fishing at forty or forty five, he was he was catching fish occasionally. Now not, still not a whole lot. Like grease is pretty bad. It's pretty fished out. It's really not, not a good, good indication of what we've been doing to the oceans. Um, there's really not a lot of fish around, and the Caribbean was much better, and much more fish. Um, probably not quite as clear water, definitely warmer water. In the Caribbean, you'd happily, we were happily, happily spear fishing all day, without a wetsuit or anything. And you don't get the halo clients that you get in Greece. It doesn't get cold if you go deep. Okay. So that was that was really nice. That's... Uh, quite a lot of tide to worry about in some spots. Um, around the around the southern tip of the island, we were on Bekwe. It's a stunning spot for diving. With a real, the water just drops off to about forty meters, kind of at the bottom of a cliff. Um, but if you time it wrong with the tides, you really there's a really strong flow past there, which can be cool. You catch, you see shoals of fish kind of sitting in eddies, sitting in eddies beside cliffs and things. It's really cool terrain for diving, but yeah, you kind of need yeah. to watch. Kind of need to watch what you're doing a little bit. Um, do you plan to do a bit more spearfishing yeah. back in Ireland when you're there? Maybe yeah, once the water starts the to warm so up right a bit. Yeah, right now I'm deep. Deep in a refit on Moonshine. That's the name of my, that's the name of my boat, Moonshine. 
So just before this lockdown, I basically stripped. I've stripped the inside of the boat. I've taken the rig off. I've taken the stanchions off. I've taken pretty much everything off. And I was just about to start putting everything back together again and making it more watertight and hopefully reinforcing the structure a little bit when this whole lockdown thing started up. So the plan, the plan when I eventually get the whole boat rebuilt is to spend a bit of time just doing some fishing, doing a lot of sailing, probably back out around the West Coast again. Brilliant. Um, are you, so you're currently, I've, I've followed some of your progress, are you currently building I a am, wind yeah. fan for yeah, wind that's, as well? Yeah, that's kept me busy now for the last two weeks, I suppose. I've been at that pretty much full time. Yeah, I've come up with a design. If you're ever looking for reading material, there's a book called Self-Steering for Sailing Craft by a guy called John Letcher, who, who, going by the book, is a very accomplished design engineer who is also good at putting, expressing stuff in a way that people who don't have an engineering degree will understand. Um. Okay, that's good. I was actually going to ask you for a <laughs> for a book to recommend. Um, I've forgotten to, to give you a heads up on that one, but thanks. I'll. I'll yeah, well, that, I'll that's a great that one. one. Yeah, so I've basically designed designed a wind vane, which I think will work. Going by the numbers, <laughs> going by the numbers that this guy <laughs> gives in this book, it should work. But it's quite a quite a complicated piece of kit try to manufacture in a back garden with some fiberglass and plywood. Um, but fingers crossed, it's been a good way to keep busy over the last couple of weeks. Have no, you used never. one before? No, I've, I've experimented with sheet to tiller steering and things on moonshine, but I've never sailed on a boat with an actual wind vane. Um, they look the business. If I get one working on moonshine, it'll be an absolute game changer. Okay. Yeah, I had tried a few things on, on my little hurley about trying to balance the seals and, and get it, but I just find it really difficult um, to set it up. Even if I lashed the tiller completely solid, I could almost get it, but it just wouldn't just yeah. wouldn't stay right for me. <laughs> just yeah, moonshine is the same. I've done. Um, I've experimented with pretty much everything you could think of to try to get her to sail straight without any kind of pilot and it just doesn't work um and it's mental how boats <laughs> vary like that and there i was sailing on a friend's boat in portugal spain morocco and that was a 33 foot steel steel cruiser and she was she sailed beautifully like going upwind you could just take your hand off the tiller and she'd cheek steer dead straight um close hauled doing a doing a decent speed like not not luffing up not luffing up at all um and on a close reach you just tie off the tiller tie off the tiller to give it some weather helm and again she'd just she'd just track straight yeah yeah but unfortunately no the hurleys the hurleys aren't quite balanced that well so We'll have to. 
So your yes, moonshine's yeah. on the hard at the minute. And you hope to be relaunching for when? Uh, June? June was my plan. Before that, maybe? Until before this month. <laughs> month delay. So I suppose, I suppose July, realistically. Depending on how much time I managed to put into it. And I don't really have any other plans to distract me while I'm here. So, Well, the good news is by the time July comes through, the fishing will be good and um, the water yeah, will warm sure. up a bit. So, you know, I, I can't say the same for the surf, but you're you're pretty much guaranteed fish. <laughs> I'll be happy if there's, if there's fish and a bit of wind. Um, yeah, I'll be happy. If I can get that, if I can get that wind vane working, I'll be sure. over the moon. Yeah, and you're doing rudder mods as well. Is that for the wind vane, or is that um, no, just that's, to try and balance separate. it a little better? So, yeah, basically the weather helm on Moonshine is absolutely ridiculous. As soon as the boat gets really powered up at all, and uh, like it, it's pretty much a two hand job to hold the tiller and keep the boat pointing where you want it to. Now that's partially partially down to the balance of the boat like weight distribution wise there's a lot of just weight towards the back of the boat so she's not fitting perfectly right in the water i think the mast isn't really raked far enough forwards and the mainsail on it came off a national 18 dinghy so it's got it's way too deep and just overpowers the boat in any kind of a breeze so there's a lot going on contributing to the weight on the helm but one of the issues is that the rudder is an original design from the 1960s with no balance to it at all. So yeah, the first thing I did there during this lockdown was basically just cut a load of area off the back of the rudder and in extend the front of the rudder a little bit to balance the area around the tiller, which should it should make the boat way way easier to steer. Hopefully, if I've done the maths right. Yeah. Ho- hopefully. I'm looking forward to testing it and finding like out. <laughs> yeah, well let let us know how it goes I will, and for um, sure. and how you're getting on. Um I think we're pretty much up on we've been on for an hour now, so I'll um I'll probably cut us off here. I I feel like I feel like we haven't covered half the, the things that I'd I'd noted down but yeah you got a couple of stories good. anyway <laughs> yeah 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 we have a few in there oh okay so I've got a few questions I will ask you have you ever been in a scary um, situation on a sailboat I suppose okay yeah what the one that the one that comes to mind Sorry? was sailing up to must have been last July, I think. Towards the end of last July, I was sailing from Dingle up to the Iron Islands, um, which I suppose is a, around a 20, 24 hour sail up the west coast. So there's no, it's an exposed coastline there. As soon as you come past Brandon, there's essentially no shelter anywhere until you get to the Iron Islands. And I had it was great. The conditions were perfect. It was a 
with a broad reach, broad reach all the way from the blasket sound up towards the, up towards the irons. But the wind started building. Well, it was forecast to build. I'd been stuck in Dingle for two weeks by the weather and just had a window, just, just had a window to get up to the Iron Islands before it blew up again. So just as I was getting to Iron Moor, or a couple of hours before I got to Iron Moor, um, early hours of the morning, had been on, on the water for a while, the wind started blowing up and it blew up. It blew up pretty good. I've no wind, wind bay or no wind gauge or anything on moonshine. But I know at one stage I had I had the, no jib out. I had the third reef in the main, and I was doing six knots, <laughs> which is probably which is close to the hull speed for yeah for early twenty two. It takes a lot to get her going. That yeah, <laughs> there was a lot of spray. There was a lot yeah. of water around, and it was the only it was the only time I remember really being thankful for being clipped down to the boat. And I, I was holding on tight. I had one hand on the tiller and the other holding on bloody tight onto the rail of the boat. <laughs> I was really looking forward to getting to harbour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, just turned really nasty on you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and I have one more question. Um written down somewhere on this huge page of notes that I made. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so what, what, what? you mentioned you don't have a, a wind indicator. You probably don't have a lot of electronics, but what one piece of kit would you, you have on board you'd highly recommend? Oh, uh, it could be anything. Navionics. Straight up, like Navionics. <laughs> Navionics on a couple of devices, so you've got backups. Like compared compared to sailing without something like that, or and you, compared to sailing even with a built-in GPS chart plotter, which is going to going to die if the engine if the boat batteries die. No, Navionics on a smartphone is the absolute bee's knees. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks very much. No um, worries. Cheers for having me, Johnny. I appreciate you coming on. Looking forward to hearing, hearing who else you have. All right. On, that'll be your chat board. soon. Oh, well. Nice All one. right. Take care. Good luck.